0: If you would be turning in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25 this morning, and as you're turning there, let me give you the key truth that I'd love for us to walk away with this morning. It's that the Holy Spirit empowers us to suffer meaningfully because of the joy of the hope that is set before us in Christ. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit empowers us to suffer meaningfully because of the joy of the hope that is set before us in Christ. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we step into this, let me just remind you that Romans 8 is one of those great chapters on the Holy Spirit that you want to keep with John 14, John 16, and Galatians 5. In fact, you want to have those chapters well mastered before you ever try to get your head around 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. It'll give you a firm foundation and banks of the river by which to understand what's going on there, but that's for a future sermon series in a future time. But what we we have seen here is the unifying work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the Roman Christians. Remember, there was division amongst them between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And there was a sense in which they were competing for uh, who was better who was more loved of God, who, who had better opportunities. And what Paul has systematically been doing throughout these first eight chapters of Romans is showing them all the ways in which they are united in the beauty of the theology of their union with Christ. Now, he's going to decenter us when we get to 9 through 11. He's going to actually start to pull some things apart But that's so he can put it back together again when we get to chapter 12 and and recognize the unity of who we are in him. And so here we have this spirit yet again unifying that, that we all have the same hope. If you are in the spirit, there are not different hopes for different people. We all have the same hope that Christ will return. And that he will gather together his people. And it is, it is a, a hope that is equal in terms of the new heavens and new earth. Of what we can expect to enjoy in him. And that's good news, right? Think about how leveling that is. Uh, and it also means that someone's suffering doesn't mean more than someone else's. There are difference and variations and certainly intensity. Don't get me wrong. But when it comes to how the Lord will gather it and what he will use it for ultimately, that ultimately is the same. It will always glorify him if we will offer up our broken cup. And sometimes even if we don't, he'll take and do it anyway. And so it's important that we we see that this morning, that this, this discussion on hope is important because you don't hope unless something is wrong, something is off. So the opening question I have for you is what do you hope for? What is it that you're hoping for in the days ahead? Uh, Some of us, it's a very imminent thing for those who, uh, I think we have three or four folks who will give birth in June and July. uh, I can imagine that there's this great hope and expectation uh, that that the the child will be born healthy and that the the mother will be healthy in the delivering of the child. Uh, And and that's the most imminent thing on the horizon, and that is a wonderful thing to hope for, but we don't yet know, do we? Nor can we guarantee Maybe you're hoping because I don't know college football's just around the corner. Hope springs eternal. Everybody's perfect as of right now. May not last long for some, right? So, so there are things that we hope for that are temporary, but can be exciting headlines. I don't know how many of you saw the headline that came out on the Southern Baptist Convention. I will not throw any stones at them because there is plank firmly rooted in our own PCAI. What can we hope for when you have that many people, over 700, who were treating the sheep as prey and an organization that, that chose to protect itself over the victims for a period of time? Now, again, we can't throw stones because we're all likely to do such a thing. And so it's very important that we have our hope firmly rooted in the right things so that we know that we can confess our sins. We don't need to protect anything. The Lord has that firmly grasped in his hand. It is not for us to hide or protect anything. It is more for us to glorify and give away and to protect his image, his image bearers. He will judge us for how we have treated the least of these. So it is important that we we make sure that, that our hope is firmly rooted in the things of the gospel that we make sure that we understand what it is that's coming as revealed by God's word and as promised by God himself, because it's going to affect how you live, right? How many of you, uh, when, when you find yourself lacking in hope and in despair, turn to things that are not healthy for you, right? How, how often, if we think it doesn't matter, we turn to some things that are very destructive to us and can be destructive to the people around us. So it is very important that we understand this issue of hope and from where it derives and that it needs to be rooted in the indwelling of the Spirit and the promise of the things to come. In fact, Paul is going to have creation teach us a lesson in how to hope. And so let's keep that in mind as we turn to the text and learn Maybe grow in, mature in what hope ought look like. He says, for I, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Remember from last week how he said, listen, you, you're going to suffer with Jesus. If you're going to be in union with Christ and you're going to receive and reap the benefit of the crown, you must endure the cross that you are called to take up daily. And remember that we also made it clear that's not just religious persecution. It does include that, don't get me wrong, but it also includes just loving people. If you love people, you are going to get hurt. If you care about how someone else is doing, if you try to be in relationship with someone else of any kind, you are going to get hurt, right? I love my granddaughter. And, and she causes very little hurt at this point, and I wish it could always stay that way, but is it going to? If, Lord willing, she'll turn 12 someday, 13, 14, do you think she's going to love coming to Campa and Grand's house when she is limited on screen time and internet access? You think that's going to be her favorite place to go, Right? So suddenly we're going to have this, this child who's so loved coming to our house saying how much she hates it, maybe. Potentially. I hope for better, right? But I don't know for sure. Odds are against me, I think, on this one. But we recognize that this, this suffering that he's talking about here is, is not some sort of specific higher calling type suffering. This is just the suffering, the grinding of day-to-day living. The limitations that we have do come down on us, right? And so he says he considers it's important that we compare the sufferings of this present time because all of them are limited. Here's the good news about the suffering that we're currently enduring, whatever it may be. It has a time limit. It has a date at which it will end, right? Either Jesus is going to come back and make all things new or It'll end in God's grace and mercy and goodness in some way, shape, or form. It'll resolve, or you will die. And in dying, that'll put an end to the suffering. Now, I'm not encouraging you to decide that timeline. What I am encouraging you to do is recognize that there is a limit, and that limit is a gift to us. It is a gift to know that the suffering that we currently endure will not last forever. Forever. Uh, part of the reason that I, I've been struggling and heavy this morning is um, I, I've got a father wound a mile wide. My, my father, for those of you who don't know, he, he committed suicide before I was born. And then my stepfather, he spent 29 years in prison. I only interacted with him about six years of my life where he wasn't in prison. And you've got to imagine those six years weren't exactly glorious. They weren't all bad, but they, uh, it was a lot of not good. And then my grandfather, who would have been the other father figure in my life, ran around on my grandmother and created a, a complete uh, toxic familial environment in, in which we were to try to live. Just to give you an example, uh, when my family would fight, you fought to the death. There was nothing that you, you didn't pull out or say to try to wound the other person, but we had this weird thing that when the dinner bell rang, it was a, 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 an automatic ceasefire, and you sat down and acted like nothing had happened. you have any idea how insane that is? And the, what that does to your nervous system, to go from fighting to the death, the people that are supposed to love you and that you spend the most time with, and then you go like, oh, and pass the mashed potatoes. Thank you. And then as soon as the table's cleared, until people give up and go to bed. And that wasn't just once in a while. That was frequent for me. And so there's a, there's a sense in which uh, it's hard for me to hope, having gone through all that, right? Like, that's just a hard thing for me. In fact, there's a, a poet named Franz Wright who's got this wonderful uh, poem about his father who was an alcoholic who was abusive. And he says, you have left me star far from the person nearest to me. And what he was getting at is, that's a very poetic way of saying, I ache with loneliness and sorrow, no matter how close anyone else is. And and Augustine kind of speaks to this. There is a particular father wound for all of us that only God can fill, right? And so there's a sense in which I've been wrestling with, do I, I keep my eyes on the things of the earth or do I turn my gaze to where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father? And I don't know why. Maybe it's Father's Day is coming up. I don't have any idea. But this thing has blown in like a dark mist, and I can't shake it. But what's beautiful, (laughs) I get to preach through this stuff, so I can't run from it, right? Like, it's up close and personal. And also, the Lord has been so gracious to point out to me, look, man, you've been through this how many times? And look at how you're handling this time versus last time. I'm not filled with anger and rage this time. I am filled with grief, and that is worthy of grief, is it not? For my father to end his life before I'm born, is that not worthy of grief? For my stepfather to spend 29 years in prison and throw his life away, given all of his intellect and abilities, is that not worthy of grief? Is my grandfather's sin that was generational and caused all kind of problems in our family, that? That's worthy of grief. It shouldn't be crippling, right? And it hasn't been this time. I cut the grass yesterday, right? I got a few things done around the house. Even unpacked all my books at the office, which was somewhat interesting because in God's providence, some things fell out of books that I didn't even know were there, which were notes from people along the way, uh, words of encouragement, recognizing I know it's hard, but you got to hang on. And Stinking and Josh popped in yesterday while I was in the middle of crying my eyes out, uh, listening to David Ramirez's backslider. And he was like, you all right? <laughs> you know, like, eh, you know once you get out of here, that will be fine. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, so it, it, it has been good because it is hope that has held me this time, not anger. It has allowed me to grieve in a way that I haven't been able to previously. Now, it, it ain't clean, and it ain't perfect, and I'm not up here telling you now, uh, you know, come make a video of how I grieve. No, not, by no stretch, because it's got its moments that it ain't clean either. But it is an interesting thing, like I said, to, to recognize that that suffering pales in comparison for what is to come. And I, I have felt that more this time through, than ever before. And so it, it is good news to us. What Paul is saying can be true, but there's a sense in which you must cultivate, you must use the means of grace at your disposal. That's one of the things I've done a little bit different instead of turning away from the Lord and going and sitting on the ash heap, I have been more turning toward him and knowing, and this is Robbie's sermon to preach, that the spirit is groaning on my behalf has been a huge comfort for me. I've also reached out to a couple of people, which I don't traditionally do, because then they get all weird and want to talk to you and check on you and all that crap. And so I I just, but I did it, okay? And God has been gracious in and through it. But what's interesting is how Paul now turns to creation to give us an example of something that the Lord has created and how it suffers and hopes so that we might learn something from it, right? Take note. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, what is one of the ways in which we should hope, in which we should come to worship, in which we should pray? We should show up, we should pray with an eager longing. We know that the Lord is good, and we've seen many evidences of his goodness. That's one of the reasons why I can cling to the crucified. When I feel so lonely and ache so hard, I feel like I could die. It's because there there has been evidence of what is to come. And so I I can pray, I can even cry out to the Lord. I can lament with eager longing, knowing that this ain't forever. Knowing that what, co- what is coming is, will, will make all of that seem like old tales. And so we too should, with eager longing, look forward to the resurrection, the fullness of the resurrection when, when, when the sons and daughters of God will be revealed. What a great gift that's going to be. Revelation 7 is a great place to go and read and just get a glimpse of that. Revelation 21 and 22, they, they help give us glimpses of what's coming. Those are things worthy of us sitting in, in the the glory of our own imaginations. And then he says, for the creation was subjected to futility. Did you hear that? How many of you struggle and struggle to hope because you feel like you've been subjected to futility, like your life doesn't mean anything? How many of you struggle going, what does any of this even mean anyway? What's the point of any of this? That's a great question. It's a terrible accusation. We need to ask. We need to take stock of our lives and go, of the things I'm choosing to do and invest in, what's the point of these things? Where are they leading me? What are they they actually pointing me to? How are they affecting my ability to hope? But we see here that creation is subjected to futility, and that futility was, is, that it couldn't glorify God in the way that it was intended. It couldn't display in full the great glory of God in an ongoing eternal fashion. Basically, winter would come. And he goes on to say, and even worse, it was subjected to futility not willingly. It wasn't, what they were lo- it wasn't what creation was looking for. It wasn't what creation was longing for. But because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. See, creation is collateral damage to our sin, right? Like what's, what's happened to creation, how we, how we are dealing with things environmentally, uh, all of that is a result of our sin, right? And so, and so it's not as if creation was even responsible for what it did. In the same way, Many of you may feel, well, I was born into Adam and Eve. Like, I, I didn't do it. I didn't start the process going downhill. I didn't even get a shot. Like, if I'd have been in the garden, I'd have, I'd have done it different. No, you wouldn't. you just stripped the tree bare faster than they did. Right? So, so, so creation teaches us that despite the futility, despite the fact that you may not feel fully responsible, I could say, I didn't kill my father before I was born. Right? Like I didn't set into motion what would be my life. He did. Or my stepfather, who kept making decisions that helped make him a repeat offender so that he got the Habitual Offenders Act. He got 20 years the last time through. I didn't I didn't decide to, to sleep around like my granddad did. I didn't make those decisions. I was born into this. I was subject to a feudal family system. Not futile as in Middle Ages, but futile. (laughs) It felt futile at times. A futile family system. I didn't decide those things. I've got habits and struggles that I I didn't choose. They were passed down both in DNA and, and being taught. So what does creation teach me? So should I be cynical? Should I be angry at God? Should I give up on all this glory? No, 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 creation teaches us that we, we recognize that there is someone who is in control of it all, who is sovereign, which allows us to actually have hope and to recognize that we will be set free from this slavery of sin and death someday. This is particularly good news for us baptized ones. Right? That we we can look to our baptism as part of the promise of the death and the resurrection of Christ, that sin, the power of sin and death are broken. Not just in the death, but in the resurrection. That we, that resurrected newness of life, because the Spirit indwells us now, it is working in us now. The resurrection has already begun for us who are in Christ. It's not yet completed. That's why we have to look forward to it with hope. But we know there's coming a day when the fullness of the bondage and limitations of this world will be no more. May we, greater than creation, who knows Christ greater than creation does, may we have an even greater hope. He says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. This is very important. The language that he's using here, because what it says is, though they were subject to futility and, 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 and didn't choose it, creation understands that there's a purpose to it all. Right? For those who are uh, currently pregnant, you, I, I should probably step down and let y'all come up and speak to this portion of the text. Though you can't do that in a PCA church. Uh, uh, we can let you stand in there and maybe do a testimony or something. Uh, we're going to be pregnant through the summer. It's already looking horrible. We're hitting 90 before June. We ain't done that around here in a while. That bodes poorly. Talk about creation groaning, right? But, but there's a sense in which like, all of that will become an old tale and completely worth uh, the beauty and the benefit of holding that child. I don't understand that in full. Y'all do, and that's where y'all are a help to the church to help us understand. But creation understood that there was a purpose to all this. Though there would be pain, though there would be sorrow, though there would be uncertainty, though there would be risk, it's worth it. And so we too, as Paul goes on to say, he brings us into it. He says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, call that your, your uh, recreation uh, uh, birth record, right? We are new creations in Christ. So the Holy Spirit is the evidence. We are the first fruits of that. He is, he is evidence that we have been reborn. We groan inwardly as we wait, listen, eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So, what Paul is saying here is that salvation is not something that happens at a single moment in time, but a process that you're becoming. Now, I didn't just say that you, you've lost any assurance of your pardon. No, the assurance of your pardon will be evidenced along the way as the Spirit works through you and in you to bring you to the conviction of sin, a desire for righteousness, and remember, uh, a recognition that judgment is coming, which means you have a missional heart for those in your spheres of influence. If you say, I ain't been convicted of anything in a while, well, that should cause you to tremble. That should cause you to cry out to the Lord and say, I don't know what I'm missing here, but I I, I need need the Spirit to be at work. If you have no desire to display the righteousness of God in this world, which is His character, okay. But cry out to the Lord and pray for that desire in you. The, The lack of desire doesn't evidence the Spirit isn't there. It may be actually the Lord pulling some things away so that you will draw near Him because you have pulled away somewhere. Anytime the Lord pulls away, it is because we have pulled away first, and it's to call us to return. If you couldn't care less if anybody in your spheres of influence that don't currently know Jesus would come to know Jesus, well, okay, it's a fair confession, but you should cry out to the Lord because the spirit at work in us brings those things in varying forms and at varying times to the surface. And so this process of adoption will be completed when our bodies are resurrected, when we are made fully new. This is not a a dualistic type thing. You've heard Matt talk about that a few weeks ago. This is not spirit versus body. No, this is an embodied thing. We're going to eat in the new heavens and new earth, and we're going to eat good, and it's not going to mess with us. I look forward to that problem more than just about anything, my wife can tell you. And so uh, we want to be those who hope because we know the purpose. We know what already has begun, and that which God has started, He will finish. What would it look like for us to be the most hopeful and creative people in any given room? What would it look like for us to be the kind of people that people turn to for hope or encouragement? We've got more than enough opinions, right? Like the, the situation that happened in Uvalde, Texas, where 21 people lost their lives, 19 students, two teachers, and a young man, by the way, who sacrificed himself in the process. Everybody and their brother is talking about what they would have done in that circumstance. Have you been paying attention to it? I do not disagree that something was off. Should have been handled different, my opinion. As to whether or not I would have done any different in that circumstance, well, that remains to be seen. But we got more than enough opinions. We don't need yet another Christian coming in with a worldly opinion on the topic. That's but one. We could mention a thousand. What we need are people who will step in the tension and grieve. How fast did that circumstance turn into anything and everything but the loss of those children's lives and those two teachers? Like, being able to grieve them is almost lost in the ether. We didn't even pause long enough to say, let's just sit in that for a minute. Now, we jump to the political on all sides real quick. Leveraging. We as Christians don't need to leverage that kind of stuff. We know how the story ends. We can grieve as those who have hope, not as those who do not. We don't need to figure the circumstance out because it's over. It's happened. But what we can do is offer hope for how do you go forward? How are these parents who have lost their babies? Some of them were standing outside and could hear the gunfire. How are they supposed to hope? And can we be the kind of people... That are more careful with our words, more careful with our opinions, more careful to make sure that we look more like creation and have an eager longing, recognizing that the pains of childbirth, that there is a process, there is something going on that we don't understand. There's a, a hope for a future that we don't yet see, as Paul's gonna tell us. And that we would look more like the first fruits of the Spirit instead of the rotten fruit of a world. And it's, it's, you don't just up and be those people, by the way. You're not just going to up and have a sunny disposition, right, if that's not your, your predilection. You're not just going to up and suddenly become creative if you haven't been, but you should cry out for it, right? You, you should ask the Spirit to show more through that to help you in this regard because these are the kind of resurrected-type people we're supposed to be as baptized ones. My friends in the cohort, uh, my pastoral cohort, are just being just ripped to shreds because they've got people in their congregation going after them because they're not promoting enough of a particular political ideology. What? I defy you. Pepsi challenge, everybody. I'll, I'll buy you a whole meal at your favorite restaurant. If you can find in Scripture. Where Jesus, or really much of anybody else, focuses primarily on one of the most rotten cultures, cultures plural, this world has ever seen. Where does the, Jesus and the apostles and the writers of the New Testament, no, oh, by the way, the prophets, with the exception of Jonah, which that went different, by the way, and Nahum, where do they go after? the culture? And why are we expending so much of our energy with a hopeless diatribe about something and things that don't look anything like Jesus? Now, it's not to say you shouldn't have opinions. It's not to say you shouldn't wrestle with how to wisely engage those things in the power of the gospel. But if, 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 Jews and Gentiles don't have special treatment within the kingdom of God. Why do we think America does? As if God loved us more uniquely than he cares about those Christians in China who don't get to sing above a whisper because they may lose their lives. We can't even find a way to sing at all half the time. You think God is pleased with that? We need to be a people who look more like those who are filled with the Spirit, who have hope, who are able to engage with things in a way that glorifies God and offers something eternal to those in our spheres of influence. And I would challenge you, how much of what you're asking for is a hope you can see? Because here's what Paul says about that. For in this hope we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. See, we need to stop trying to set up a kingdom that is now, that is going to fall one way or the other. It's not to say that we don't care about the things of the world. We do. We care about it in the sense that we want to give people glimpses of eternity. We want them to be able to taste and see that the Lord is good. not taste and see that we are an ashen people, bitter. And so the spirit that dwells in us helps us not become those things. Listen to what John Stott says about this. He says, Although we have not yet received our final adoption or redemption, we have already received the Spirit as both foretaste and promise of the blessings. For the very presence of the Spirit, being only the first fruits, is a constant reminder of the incompleteness of our salvation. We, As we share with creation in the frustration, the bondage to decay, and the pain. Again, there's nothing to hope for if you already have everything you think you need. Too many of us act as if we have everything we think we need. So how has the Spirit empowered you to suffer meaningfully? This, you, you want to talk about, If you, the answer to this question is a wonderful opportunity for you to share with folks. See, people aren't looking for some, some sort of disconnected uh, knowledge-based, abstract set of issues. What people want to know is why does it matter to be justified on a Wednesday at 3 o'clock? What does sanctification matter on a Saturday at 12? What good is your salvation when my child has died? What good is your salvation when my marriage Has died. What good is your salvation in the midst of all the sorrow that come with so many family systems? What hope do I have? We need to be able to articulate that. And then how has he used your suffering to grant you hope more abundant? I already shared with you this morning that that's a, a process that the Lord has me in right now. And it's interesting because I, I was talking to a friend of mine and I, I, I told him, this was a, a couple of weeks or a week or so ago, I said, I, I, I have a suspicion the clouds are gathering. And so it's going to be important for me to keep, keep my gaze on the right horizon, that, that, that I would be looking in hope and not allowing myself to go under. I, I know the devil has hands and I often know how he comes. And it was interesting. I mean, it was the next day I, I, I texted him. I was like, man devil's at work. He's, he's throwing, a, throwing some little shots, but I'm waiting for the haymaker. And the haymaker came. And I'm still standing in the hope of the Lord. And the glory of God, because the Spirit indwells me. I did not go under. Not because of me. Because of his goodness and me leaning into and depending on that goodness. So what a gift that we get to come to the Lord's table. To be reminded of the necessity of our ongoing dependence upon the things of the Lord, upon the means of grace. That we need the Spirit to nourish us with the finished person and work of Christ. That we get to come to the table. If you're struggling with hope this morning, this table can nourish that hope. If you're struggling with looking at the world and and believing that any of this has any meaning at all, this table, if you're in Christ, can help nourish you in that. And you may say, how? How? I don't know, but God promised it was true and that it's so, and I have tasted and seen that he is good. Let's come with an eager longing and expectancy that what the Lord said would serve his church and nourish his people, that it would do that. And we ain't got to understand fully how it works, but what we need to do is understand that it is true. And so, as you come this morning, meditate on how the Lord is using your suffering. To help build you up in ways that you couldn't without the hurt and the lack and the limit. Meditate on how the Lord is at work in the midst of the things that you are going through that aren't yet finished and are not yet completed. And ask the Spirit to help you to grow. To be evident, to evidence that first fruitness of his presence in your life. And so do remember that Jesus when he was about to go to the cross as he was dining with those he loved so dearly, he took the bread as part of the meal, knowing none of them was about to understand what was about to happen. But he wanted them to have something that would help them get through, that would keep them in hope because he knew they were about to suffer immeasurably. So he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body and it is given for you. And as the meal went on, he took the cup and he raised it and he said, this, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. This is the blood of the new covenant. Essentially, what he was telling them is not only am I going to forgive your sin, past, present, and future, and make it as if it never even happened, I'm going to renew you. You will be resurrected in and through me in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we come and you receive the elements, meditate on those things. How forgiveness of sins allows you to suffer and hope well. How knowing that you are filled with the power of the resurrection allows you to suffer and hope well. And so, uh, for instructions, this side of the room is going to go to Jonathan and Philip. We'll start with the last row first. You'll exit to the outside, receive the elements, and return to the inside, and just make your way to the front. This side will go front to back. You'll exit to the Inside, come to me and back to the outside. Thank you, Susan. First ladies matter, just so y'all know. Uh, and so uh, you'll receive and then return and we'll go front to back and, until we're finished. If you only want... Uh, so who back there is doing the juice? Philip, okay. So if you only want the communion MRE, that means it's got the juice and the, the, the wafer together. Offer me or Philip one hand. If you go doing this two-hand thing, if you're delayed, you're going to get all kind of stuff in your hands. So it's fine. We can work it out. But if you would like the bread and the juice, give us two hands and we'll get you taken care of. But if you would, go ahead and stand and let's pray and then you come. Father, thank you for Christ and his willingness to die for us. And thank you that he rose again and did not withhold his resurrection from us, but has given it away and imbued us with newness of life. God, thank you that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for all of the great gifts that you give to us that should cause us to have an eager longing, that should should cause us to look to you for deliverance, that should cause us to hope. Thank you that this table points to a greater meal to come, the marriage supper of the Lamb, when all things will be made new. Give us a foretaste. In Christ's name, amen.